The number of immigrants has hit an all-time record of nearly 100,000 in the year to July. International students are back and so are the hospitality workers. But we still have worrying gaps. Nurses, teachers, doctors, engineers. A warning, the teacher shortage could get worse still. We hear the Minister talking about the number of nurses who have started. What about the number who are exiting? Pressure felt even more acutely in aged care. We are short about a 1,000 nurses across the city. The GPs who look after us. They wanted answers on the need for more rural doctors and more support. New Zealand has a shortage of people who are skilled and experienced in delivering large-scale complex infrastructure projects. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail, immigration has more than bounced back after COVID and brought some big problems with it. They came to New Zealand with a dream of supporting their families and finding decent work, often spending their life savings on the trip. Instead, they've found themselves crammed into a motel room in Auckland's Avondale. No job, no money and still living out of their suitcases. Ten migrants have been turned around on arrival to New Zealand and up to 200 others warned not to come here because they're caught up in visa scams. In the rush to attract migrant workers amidst the global labour shortage, the immigration minister says the checks on employers were low level. So are we really prepared for this wave? RNZ's business editor, Giles Beckford, says it's a catch-up on our pandemic years when borders were shut and immigration was down to a trickle. The moment the borders were opened, we got that surge of people leaving and coming in. But um, it's really been the opening of the visa categories and the loosening of the restrictions the need to get workers in uh, to relieve shortages in various industries and the progressive loosening of those standards. Remember, the government was quite tight at the beginning, but then it's progressively under political pressure and uh, industry and business pressure. Uh, it's allowed a you know, much easier path for people to get jobs here and use that as a, a path to gaining permanent residence. So... The departures were 112,000, the arrivals 208,000, the gain 96,200. Now, that's a record high for any particular year. Before COVID, we were getting somewhere in the region of forty to 50,000, just depending on the flows of people and the time of the year. So all in all, the migration scene, and it's the same around the world in most developed economies, uh, where they've loosened up their categories in order to attract workers to fill those critical labour market shortages. And you do see the change, don't you, Giles, just out on the streets? I mean, this morning I noticed that there was a a big group of young backpackers with big, huge packs on their backs. And I'm thinking, well, we haven't seen that for many years. And I guess, you know, they could be doing their OE on a one-year work visa, something like that. Yeah, it's most certainly. I think you look at it. I mean, you know, the first industries to gain some uh, advantage from the loosened visa requirements were, of course, when they allowed the backpackers to come in and they were filling up the hospitality jobs that we were hearing so much that couldn't be filled from local resources. So there's been there. Also, there was an increase in people, you know, doing some fruit picking and that sort of thing, which have, of course, have been jobs that have been favoured by backpackers for quite some time. But uh, I mean, I've been uh, doing a few uh, hospitals visits recently uh, for personal reasons and I've just noticed that a lot of the support staff, nurses and like 
overwhelmingly non-New Zealanders. They tell me they've only recently come in. They're filling up the nursing care roles there. A lot of the nurses, they're also actually in on recently issued visas. So not so much perhaps the uh, really skilled areas that we're wanting to see or the government's wanting to see people come into. The engineers, the doctors, the teachers. It's not quite so clear how well those gaps are being filled in the market, remembering that Britain, Australia, Canada, just to name three, they're, they're all there in the market competing with New Zealand and offering, usually offering better uh, wages and conditions than they get here. We don't know if we've got the mix right, but what we do know is that firms are having no trouble finding unskilled labour now. That's been backed up by the Institute of Economic Research's latest quarterly survey of business opinion. Now, a year ago, the major concern of the businesses who respond to that survey was, we can't find the workers, unskilled or skilled. Now, the latest uh, report, it shows that no longer is there a worry about attracting unskilled staff. They're saying, nope, we've got got plenty of them. Still some difficulty in finding skilled staff. The worry for businesses now is not about getting staff, but it's actually about attracting customers, getting customers through the door and making sales. So nearly 100,000 new immigrants in 12 months. Good or bad for New Zealand? Here's Aaron Martin, an immigration lawyer for 25 years who runs his own Auckland practice, New Zealand Immigration Law. I tend not to look at immigration in terms of is it good or bad. I just look at it in the sense of in the 21st century, it's necessary. With the speed of technology and the diversification of the types of jobs that are needing to be performed, given New Zealand's low birth rate, our population size, if we don't bring people here with that expertise, we don't get to enjoy the standard of living that we we like. So I think it's just the unavoidable reality of life in the 21st century. There are some impacts from migration that as a country you have to deal with, but it becomes a very difficult chicken and egg scenario. For example, if you don't have enough nurses in your hospitals and it's becoming unsafe and you don't have enough young people in your own country coming through the pipeline to become nurses fast enough to fill that void. If you want a first world quality healthcare system, you need to be able to draw on people who have got expertise in other jurisdictions and and try to attract them here. Um, And that really goes across the board for anything. But we're still talking about huge shortages, big gaps in those areas. Nursing, teachers, doctors, engineers, other specialists, infrastructure specialists. Yeah, absolutely. So immigration released these statistics of job check applications. Think of that as an employer who's accredited saying, immigration, can I have permission to hire five engineers from overseas or three concrete pump operators? So that's what, what a job check is. And Immigration New Zealand approved 49,023 job check applications that equated to 238,817 individual jobs. Now, 
Out of that, in terms of the number of work visa applications that are approved, it was basically 94,451. So you've got over 200,000 jobs mm-hmm. and only 94,000 people who have filled them. Now, that indicates two issues to me. We've got a serious problem of attracting people to New Zealand, and we've got a demand from New Zealand that we just are not going to be able to meet domestically. We don't have a hope. Yeah, but what what's wrong here? I mean, why can't we get these people? I, I know, for example... With the nurses, there is, you know, this global Mm. people outbidding each other for nurses. Figures from Australia reveal that since August, 5,000 nurses have registered to work there. They're being lured by better pay and working conditions. Governments are competing to attract talent from countries like the Philippines. The shortage for nurses is on track to more than double from pre-pandemic levels to reach 13 million people globally. Mm. Is, is that a problem across the board and is that, is that why we're missing out here in New Zealand? Yes, it is. Um, but what in the health sector is happening is that they want people, what I'll call Photoshop ready. In other words, I will have a job for you if you are a nurse who has got your New Zealand registration and I just need to offer you the job. The difficulty that has arisen is that in order for a nurse to get a job, they have to be fully registered. Now that means that they need to be able to go through their recognition of their prior learning qualifications, verification, that costs them. Um, they then have to might have to do NZQA assessments. They then have to go through uh, nursing council processes as well. And then they get the told, well, look, you might need to do a CAPS course, which is basically a period of learning that they need to do to um, essentially have their um, competency assessed. <sighs> that costs between eight to $12,000. And they have to pay for it. They have to pay for that up front with no promise of a job, plus all the other costs, in the hope they might get a job. That's a big risk to take. Australia, they actually facilitate all of that. So I think that we have a problem in terms of the way we try and attract people to New Zealand and that sometimes we are inadvertently putting barriers in place in order to make it okay for us. Well, hold on. How does it look from the person's perspective that we're trying to attract? So are you saying that the employer should be maybe stumping up with the money to make sure that, you know, the people that they're trying to employ get through these different standards without it costing them. Yeah, in, in New Zealand, when you've got through to the end of it, you might get some reimbursement. In Australia, I believe, they actually do a full reimbursement. Um, one of the other problems I think that we've got, particularly with the nurses, is that there's a desire to also attract from comparable countries, first world English speaking countries, but by crikey we're competing with better payers. Warmer days and higher pays, that's the sales pitch being made to Kiwi cops to try to lure them across the ditch. Also on offer, a $20,000 bonus for police officers willing to up sticks and move to sunny Queensland. I mean if you're a nurse or a doctor or um, an IT specialist, 
Australian firms are offering very, very generous deals for you to now go and live in Australia. New Zealand is in a global market where I think probably in human history, labour skills have never been so movable ever. Mm. And we need to appreciate that people have options when they are in a when they have skills that allow them to be highly mobile. Remember when Winston Peters wanted to seriously curb new migrant numbers? Not that long ago. The party position on immigration is that no more than 15,000 people come into New Zealand each year and that they are all highly skilled workers. In our interests, that is, bring people here who we desperately need, not people who desperately need us. Note, not a whisper on it at this election, but the anti-immigration talk was that the newcomers were entirely to blame for pushing up inflation, putting pressure on housing, stoking demand for services. And that stoked calls for migrant numbers to be tightly controlled. Giles says the thinking around that is changing. Now, Mark Smith, who's an economist at uh, ASB, sat down and he's gone through the numbers in recent years. Now, he says, in the short term at least, it's not inflationary, that it's, uh, it's, it fills the necessary gaps in the economy and therefore it promotes growth and productivity and the like. Longer term, as people become established here, uh, as they drive the demand not just to rent houses but to buy houses uh, once they put the strain on educational resources, on health resources and uh, those sorts of services that are required for residents, so to speak, then there is an inflationary impulse. But he thinks not as much as there used to be in the past. How is our housing supply? Because that's often where, you know, the talk is, isn't it, that that migration as you say, pushes up prices, pushes up rental prices as well. Uh, Look, the housing supply, it's a perennial problem for New Zealand. It has been for decades now. We know that at the social end of the scale, just how tense, how difficult it's got. You know, people, the number of people in social housing in places like Rotorua, you know, you look at the anecdotes that we hear of uh, migrants who have been brought in, what, in what would appear to be scams, mm. um, how many? We've got 10, 20, 30 staying in limited uh, accommodation facilities in Auckland, you know, garages and lean-tos and caravans and the like. And in Queenstown, they simply can't afford to live there. This is becoming critical. People are in garages, sleeping in cars, sharing overpriced rooms with strangers. Hot bedding, so, you know, you have three people sleeping in one bed, rotating through on, on different shifts. From that point of view, you've got to say, we do have a housing problem, uh, and it's going to be compounded by the fact that, I'm um, just looking at the numbers that have come in recently on the number of building consents that have been issued. A year or so ago, we were talking about 50,000 consents being issued. Now, that doesn't always translate into the number of houses built, but uh, the most recent numbers were down about 41,000 in the past year. Well, that just uh, points to fewer consents issued, even if they are for multi-apartments and townhouses and the like, but with fewer consents issued, it's got to mean that the supply of houses is going to shrink as well, in the near term at least. So, are we better geared this time for this this migration wave than previous years? I mean, I read something from Jared Kerr at 
Kiwi Bank, who said, we've made mistakes in the past and we'll make mistakes again. We allow population to grow at a rapid rate and don't invest for that. Look, I'm... I'm not an expert in it, but I think you have to say that uh, migration has been a political football and a bugger's muddle in this country for the past 10 to 20 years. Um, It's allowed political parties of various persuasions to argue for and against uh, the need for migration, for loosening up the rules. I don't think New Zealand uh, has ever properly approached it. You only have to look at the the waxing and waning of uh, particular governments about the types of visas that they're going to offer. Here's what Aaron Martin has to say on that point. In terms of our overall immigration system, there are some things that work very well. The Green List, for example. Um, Tell me about the Green List. So the Green List is basically a set of occupations that have certain requirements attached to them. They might be a pay rate requirement, they might be a qualification requirement. And if an employer has a uh, position that's on the Green List, they must be accredited, they go through a job check, they don't have to advertise because the government's saying by the Green List, we know there's a chronic shortage of these particular people. So doctors and nurses and engineers engineers are on that list. But I think that there are elements of our system that are broken. There's little coherence about immigration policy, I would think. Uh, In the past, we've tried to keep a clamp on it. We're happy to have the temporary... Uh, visas here, 12, 18 months, and then go home. But then we put a pile of uh, rules on people who we want to settle here, but you say you can't bring your families or we make it difficult for families to come here. Changing criteria for how we attract high net worth individuals and entrepreneurs here. Uh, At one stage, we tighten it up. More recently, we've loosened it a wee bit or we go and create another category. Some people would suggest and have argued in the past that we actually don't need an immigration policy. We need a population policy. Because it does feel like these policies and the changing of policies is so reactionary. If there's enough pressure, say, from from employers, then they'll tinker with the visas. And then if there's too much, then they'll tinker again. But it does feel like there's, there's more of that kind of thing rather than thinking ahead. I think you use the word tinkering uh, in a very appropriate sense here. It is tinkering. A lot of it is knee-jerk. Um, it is short-termism. The, the thinking that goes behind it, I think, is not connected. Uh, we don't look at uh, migration here uh, as, a, as a broad continuum saying we've got to fill jobs, but what's the infrastructure, housing, uh, drains, uh, buses uh, that we need, uh, hospitals, schools to service them. Uh, we, we just have a short-term need or we have a, a longer-term need. Uh, and you know, the dairy industry needs workers, so we'll allow them as a priority. Uh, but we don't need so many now, say, builders or carpenters and sparkies and the like. You know, so perhaps they'll cut back on that one. And I think the other thing is that Immigration New Zealand is uh, it's a black hole. It is, it is so opaque trying to fathom the workings uh, of that department, how it works, why it makes the decisions that it does. Uh, the efficiency of it is often called into question. The decision-making uh, in particular instances, you know, 
people settled here for 10 to 15 years, all of a sudden they get some sort of edict that they've got to leave because they've breached a certain condition of a visa type that may not exist anymore, but when it was given to them, they're not earning enough money in the particular investment or business that they started. The administration of uh, immigration, the uh, devising of it, the philosophy of it, the principles of it, uh, I think are so disconnected that you know we really do need to sit down and, and think about these things, you know, and really have a, a grown-up national conversation about where it all goes and how we manage it. Do we want more people here or not? Do we want them for only particular skills, or do we actually see them as we do with foreign students? Do we see them here as sources of income? Because let's be honest, that's what the overseas student trade in recent years has been all about. It's been about earning money. And we see that from the complaints from the education sector saying, well, we're having to cut all these courses because we don't have overseas student income anymore. Dismantle it and start again. Wow. These parts that function well, as I say, things like the green list, that you'd say, well, if that functions well, let's keep it. But what are the parts that are not functioning well? You know, why does it take 53 months for a residence application made by a victim of domestic violence to be processed? Is that right? Hmm. And so there's lots of areas where you've just got to ask, hold up, why are we allowing that to carry on. I'll give you a good example of the insanity of it. When a person applies for a um, work visa, let's say they have a minor um, conviction from 10 years ago that means they don't meet the character requirements. They go through a process of getting a what we call a character waiver. Okay, They get that approved and then they come into New Zealand on a work visa. Then they apply for residence. They have to repeat the same process of a character waiver for the residence application. And immigration have to do the same process again. That also happens on the health side. Why is there this element of duplication? You know, there needs to be a relook at the way in which we do things and whether we are actually operating at an efficient level. And you know what? The people they should be talking to at a level to do this, go talk to immigration officers. How much of these policies are driven by so much political pressure to keep our population low? Look, even I as a New Zealander... um, have this internal fight about with myself about, gosh, on the one hand, we need to increase our population because we've got a large number of people heading toward pension age, not a huge number of people coming up behind them. If you want the, to enjoy the lifestyle that you like, you need to be able to have a tax base to be able to pay for these things. And if you have a lower... Uh, numbers of taxpayers to draw on lower business activity, you don't get that. But at the same time, you know, even New Zealand, oh, you know, I don't want to live in a place like Sydney with that heaving mass of people. But unfortunately, you can't have it both ways. No. 100,000, roughly 100,000 the last 12 months. Will there be another 100 in the next 12 months? Well, if there have been 238,000 jobs that are needing to be filled by international workers, the answer is I can't see that demand going away, except if there's 
a recessionary environment. So I think it's going to continue. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Phil Benge. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Giles Beckford and Aaron Martin. Kakite anō. Ka